All right, I want to welcome everybody to the master's class here at Life Change Church. Life Change Church. Today we are in the book of Genesis, and we're in chapter 12, verses 9 through chapter 13, verse 18. We're going to be talking about Abram chooses. Now, one of the great biblical themes that is taught over and over and over in Scripture is the effect of the choices that we as Christians make between choosing to follow the will of God in our lives and the things of this world. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah? Now, the fact that the believer even has a choice to follow the will of God is an often misunderstood blessing of our salvation. You see, the lost person has no such choice to make. They can't make the choice. He is a slave to Satan, and he must follow the will of his master. His only choice is between heaven and hell, between making Christ his Lord and Savior or keeping Satan as his master. Now, once the decision is made to accept Christ's offer of salvation, the person is freed from the bonds of slavery to Satan and sin. They now have a daily choice between serving God and serving Satan. They have the blessing of being able to daily choose God's will for their lives instead of Satan's will. Now, did you guys understand that and believe that? Amen? Amen? Now, isn't that a wonderful blessing that we at least have a, the choice to, uh, to, uh, to follow God? Now, today we have an opportunity to see the effect that Abram's choices had on his life and that of his family. Now, we're going to get to see the negative and the positive. God withholding his blessings from Abram, and then God outpouring his blessings on a faithful servant. So the first example that we're given to us is of Abram choosing the world. And we talk about Abram's lapse of faith in Genesis chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. Now, I put something in your handouts, if you guys haven't noticed it, there's a, on the last page, on the back of it, there's a map. And it just gives you an indication of everywhere that Abram was going uh, during this time frame. I just thought it would be interesting for you guys to have that and be able to see it in the context of the land that they're in. But notice that we are told that Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there. Now, it's important to understand that this is not something God had told Abram to do. Now, when God had appeared to him the last time, God had said, this is it, Abram. This is the land I'm going to give you. You will be a blessing, and I'm going to be a, bless, a blessing to you right here. Here. But Abram, he didn't believe God. He went down into the land of Egypt, and in the Bible, Egypt is a picture of the world. Now notice also that this is the very first mention of Egypt in the Bible. It is referred to some 600 times throughout the Bible. If you really want to know how many, it's 611 times. But I, but, but I don't know if that makes any difference to you guys how uh, it was 611 or 610. But anyway, it's about 600 times, right? 
Now, and where it is used as a type or a symbol of something, it is always a type of the world. Now, Egypt represents all that the world is in its attractiveness to the separated believer. Its wealth, its wisdom, its wickedness, and its worship are all alluring and enticing. So what Egypt was to Abram, the world is to us today. It is a devil's trap for sinners and his lure for saints. Now, Egypt must have looked really very attractive to Abram as a place that could supply all of his needs. He was attempting to be self-sufficient, and in doing so, he had turned away from the hand of God. Now, whenever we choose to step out of the will of God for our lives, no matter how good we think those reasons are, we will always find complications and problems as a consequence. Now, a good example of this is when we choose our mate. If we choose based on our fleshly desires, rather than allowing God to choose our mate, then we set ourselves up upon a path that will have far-reaching complications and consequences for the rest of our lives. Now, it was the same for Abram. God had given the land to Abram and promised him both spiritual and physical blessings, yet Abram chose to leave the land. And as a result, a whole series of events that we're going to talk about over the next several weeks will now follow Abram's lack of trust in God. Now, the very first thing that happened was famine. And God tells us that for the famine was grievous in the land. Now, there were two things in the land that Abram did not expect to find there. The Canaanite and the famine. Now, both were a test to him. Now, the famine began to personally affect Abram after he left Bethel, and Bethel means what? The house of God. Now, moving away from God's house always brings a famine to our spirit. Now, next came a sense of foreboding. Genesis 12, verses uh, 11 and 12, says, And it came to pass, when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarah his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Now, that's something good to tell your wife, isn't it? Yeah, yeah you ought to tell your wife that more often, right? That men, just take note here, okay? All right. Therefore, it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Now, notice that Abram tells his wife, Sarah, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Now, at this point in her life, Sarah was 65 years old. And yet her beauty was still truly striking. And he goes on by telling her, Now, when the Egyptians shall see thee, they shall say, Now, this is his wife, and they will kill me. Now, a direct consequence of Abram's decision to come to Egypt is that he now had to make a decision about his own safety and that of his wife. Now, as soon as Egypt came into the picture, a sense of foreboding came over Abram. And he recognized that he had a problem because of the beauty of his wife. And so next, that leads us into what? A falsehood. A falsehood. You see how the path of sin just leads you one down the path, down to the next? Verse 13 says, Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. Now the falsehood 
that Abram tells Sarah to make is, say, I pray thee that thou art my sister. Now, that was only half a lie, as Sarah had the same father as Abram did, but a different mother. Yet half a lie is sometimes worse than a whole lie, and this was half a lie with a total intent to deceive. Next we see Abram's frustration. Verses 14 and 15. And it came to pass that when Abram was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians held, beheld the woman that she was very fair. And the princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh. And the woman was taken unto Pharaoh's house. Now, if you look at this from the world's perspective, oh, Abram, he was right. He was pretty smart in his prediction of what was going to happen here. Now, the world would say Abram saved his life and that is a good thing, right, Keith? That's a good thing that I say uh, that Abram's life was saved. It's just too bad that his wife is now in another man's harem. And then comes flattery. Verse 16, And he entreated Abram well, meaning Pharaoh uh, entreated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. Now, I just noticed something. You notice that he, they got put he asses up there in the middle of the verse and she asses down at the bottom of the verse? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> why, why wouldn't you say he asses and she asses? Uh, or, or just asses? Uh, you know? But anyway, uh, i got to be careful. I, I, somebody will say I'm saying bad words here. right? My mind work, just works in terrible ways. All right? So yeah, forgive me. All right, but once again, from the world's perspective, Abram has really been pretty smart here. I mean, how many Christians today do you know that are willing to turn to the world and away from God to gain the riches of the world? Right? You, if you had a chance to win a bunch of the riches of the world, would you turn away from God? I know quite a few Christians that might do that, right? Abram was given all the riches that the world could offer, yet he had lost his wife Sarah. And he had lost touch with God. So what happened? Abram failed. Abram failed, verses 17 and 20. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidest thou she is thy sister? So I might have taken her to me to wife. Now therefore, behold thy wife, take her, and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. Notice that even though Abram had not protected his wife, he hadn't played the role of a husband in protecting your wife, God did. And, and it says, And the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So God intended Abram to be a blessing to all of the families of the earth. However, because Abram chose to follow Satan instead of God, and Abram's very first contact with a world power as one of God's uh, representatives, what is he? He's a curse to them. He's a curse to them. So Pharaoh responds by asking of Abram, what is this that thou hast done unto me? And so how can the world see a Christian as different or something they desire to be like if they are no different in their behavior than those of the world. Now, in this instance, it is Pharaoh that shows the better nature than the representative of God. But Pharaoh could have just went ahead and killed uh, uh, Abram and kept Sarah anyway. 
though he's shown a better nature than Abram did. Now listen, if people cannot see a difference in our lives, why should they believe that God will make their lives different and trust him? That's one of the biggest uh, complaints that people have about Christians. Oh, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. Well, if there's not a difference in your life, how can they see something different that is desired that they want to have? And that's one of the greatest witness tools that you have is, hey, Keith, tell me what it is that gets you through all these trials and tragedies and, and, and the strength. And how, how can you lose someone, a loved one, and still have faith in God? Isn't that, isn't that a great witness when you can do that and be different than the world? So William Bennett gives us some interesting statistics in his book, The Index of Leading Cultural Indicators is the title of the book. And it was published back in 1999, okay? So this isn't just a new phenomenon. It's been around for a long time. But America, and here are some of the uh, leading indicators. America has the highest divorce rate of any industrial nation. Forty out of every 100 first marriages ends in divorce. Sixty percent of second marriages end in divorce. And 73 percent of third marriages end in divorce. And that, that tell you that once you get started divorcing somebody, it just gets easier and easier as it goes on down the road? Now, roughly one in every four pregnancies ends at an abortion clinic rather than in a delivery room. Fifty percent of children will spend their entire childhood in a split family situation. One of every three births is out of wedlock, and a single and single parent families make up thirty-two percent of all the families in America. And the growth rate of sexually transmitted diseases in America outpaces that of every other developed nation. Now, those numbers are a little dated. They're back in 1999, but they're bad enough. Can you imagine what they all are today? It is truly a sad statement on the moral condition of our country. Now, surely, surely, oh, surely the people who call themselves Christians, they must be better than this, right? Uh, they they, they got to be a lot better than, than this. Well, a recent Barna research survey found that the percentage of born-again adults who have been married and divorced is now statistically equivalent to that among non-born-again adults. In other words, those who follow Christ are no less likely than any other single group to be divorced. Actually, this compares to the agnostic and the atheist. Guess who's the best group uh, that has the lowest divorce rate? The agnostic and the atheist, who according to the survey, are the least likely to be divorced. Imagine that. Now, so what's going on? The answer is that instead of living according to the will of God for our lives, we Christians have decided, just as Abram did, to live according to our own rules. And tragically, the world cannot see the light and joy of God in our lives if it is stained by the sin of the world. Now, Pharaoh certainly did not see the light of God through the actions of Abram. Now, I know I just picked on a lot of people for being divorced, and I know that a lot of people are divorced. Someday I'm going to do a whole lesson on just divorce, okay? 
there are reasons for divorce, and there are reasons not to go into divorce. And the Bible is very clear in all of those, okay? And just because you got divorced doesn't mean you're a second-class citizen. I don't want to teach that. I, we love uh, people, and you can't unscramble the eggs once you scramble them, right? And uh, so uh, there are, uh, there, I just want to make sure everybody understands me when I say that, all right? I'm just saying that uh, when you choose to get divorced, and it's not a godly reason to get divorced, you're choosing the world over for God, okay? All right, so let's look at the marks of a spiritual man. You know, in that first set of verses, we saw what happened when Abram chose the world over the will of God and his life. Now, we get to now see what happens when Abram returns to the will of God. So three things characterize the spiritual man. And the first is separation. Chapter 13, verse 1 says, And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the south. Now, God tells us, and Abram went up out of Egypt. Now, notice that true biblical separation is not isolation, but insulation. It is living in the world as a believer without being of the world. It's kind of like being an electrical wire that my dog just chewed through, right? That electrical wire is insulated against all that would short-circuit it and take its power away. The believer makes contact at one end with the power source, and that is the Holy Spirit. And the other end is, goes to the place where the power is needed, wherever it is that God wants it to go. So that's kind of what we're supposed to be. And a believer can make a difference in the world. They really can make a difference in the world, but only if he remains separated from the world. You cannot lift a barrel while you are standing in it. You ever try to do that? You cannot lift a brother out of the muck and mire of sin if you are standing in that same muck and mire. So the first mark of a spiritual man is separation. And the second mark of a spiritual man is sanctification. Verses 2 and 3 says, And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold, and he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, another place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hot. Now, notice where Abram goes. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel under the place where his tent had been at the very beginning. He went back where he had started. So separation and sanctification are really two sides of the same coin. Sanctification is not so much separation from as it is separation to. To be sanctified means you're being set apart for God. You're sanctified to. You're separated to God. And Abraham, having fallen so badly in Egypt, now puts as much distance as possible between himself and the world. Now he did this by getting back to Bethel, or the house of God. And he pitched his tent at Bethel and restored his fellowship with God. Now, the third mark of a spiritual man is sacrifice. The first mark was separation, the second mark was sanctification, and now the third mark is sacrifice. Verse 4 says, unto the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So Abram goes back to where God had first led him, and then Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now, the tent symbolizes Abram's attitude towards this world. It said that he wanted no roots in it. It said that he wanted to be ready to move at God's command 
And it said that he was a pilgrim and a stranger to this world. That's what the tent stood for. Now his altar, it symbolized his attitude towards the next world. He was ready for any sacrifice, so he called upon the name of the Lord. And so those are the marks of a spiritual man. There's separation, there's sanctification, and there's sacrifice. And so those are the marks of a spiritual man. Now let's look at the mind of a spiritual man. So how does a spiritual man think? How does he handle the problems that he is faced with? Now, it's also a great illustration in how church members are supposed to handle conflict with each other. So in this next section of verses, we're going to see the contrast between a spiritual man in Abram and a carnal man in Lot. And uh, we're going to see verses 5 and 6 here. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents, and the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. So now this tells us that Abram and Lot came back from Egypt with such large flocks and herds that the land could not bear them both. So how are we supposed to handle a conflict like this? Are you supposed to arm wrestle? Are you supposed to go to war? Uh, you supposed to argue with each other? Well, that's what the herdsmen were doing. They were arguing with each other. Let's see how Abram and Lot handled it. Verse 7, And there was a what? Strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. Oh my, my. So here's another example of Abram's witness to the world. God tells us that because of the size of the two herds, there was a strife. There was a strife in the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. So two problems are stated here. First, not only was there strife between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot, but there were uh, the Canaanite and the Perizzite watching every move that these two made. Now the world loves to see two Christian brothers arguing by, don't they? Woo, boy. Now, nothing is more damaging to the kingdom work of God than squabbling within a church. Oh, we've got some squabbling going on here in this church, and uh, uh, there is nothing more dangerous to the kingdom work of God than squabbling that takes place in a church. I'm going to tell you there's squabbling going on in almost every church. Okay, I, I have yet to be in a church where there wasn't squabbling going on. All right. Now, how can we be a light to bring others closer to God if we can't even get along with ourselves. It is a simple fact that nothing will hinder a testimony more quickly than a dispute over worldly things. Philippians 2.14 says, Do all things without what? Murmurings and disputings. So, you see, Abram and Lot were supposed to be different. And I do believe that Lot was saved. Now, it doesn't really say this, but I do believe that Lot was saved, okay? But they're supposed to be different. Abram was, cho uh, was chosen of God to be the father of a chosen people. So how did Abram choose to deal with the situation? Abram was, had the higher calling here, right? So how did Abram choose to deal with this situation? First, he dealt with Lot using spiritual directness. 
Verses 8 and 9 of chapter 13 says, And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. It is not, it is not the whole land before thee. Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right, and if thou wilt depart to the right, then I will go to the left. So Abram tells Lot, let there be no strife, I pray, between me and thee. So Abram came directly to the point and named the problem for what it was, strife. Now notice that he also did not blame it all on Lot. Rather, he blamed both of them in this. He said, me and thee. He was ready to take any steps necessary to stop the strife between them. And this is the way that a spiritual man thinks. And then next, we see that Abram dealt with Lot using not only a spiritual directness, but he also used spiritual discernment. Why did Abram not want strife between him and Lot? Well, he tells Lot, because we are brothers. Now, I'm going to bring this right on down to our own church by using the commons area out there as an example of choosing God's will or Satan's will. Okay? In the morning on Sunday and on Wednesday night, the commons area is filled with old friends, new members, visitors, and lost people. Right? I mean, it, it, we have... We have a lot of people come in, and from time to time, you never know uh, uh, who that is that's going to be sitting across the table from you. There are a lot of people that, that come in, and, and that's a good way for fellowship. And I'm not knocking the fellowship area. I, I think it can be a great tool uh, for church members to have fellowship, right? It can be a great time to catch up on what happened during the week and eat some snacks. And I'm all for eating snacks, right? I mean, uh, that's why half the class is late here, because you guys are out there feeding your face, uh, getting snacks, right? Now, I think that's a sin, by the way, to be late to my class because you're eating the snacks out there, all right? Now, but when you sit down at one of those tables, you've got a choice. You've got a choice to make. Are you going to please God by talking about the blessings and answered prayers that God has done for you during the week? Or are you going to please Satan by talking about the latest gossip, complaints about the staff, the leadership, or how the services are being conducted? Why, that music is just way too loud in there, isn't it? And, and, and they don't sing enough of the old songs, right? And, and, and you start talking between yourself. You start complaining, and people start hearing things, right? So are you going to build up your brothers and sisters in Christ, or are you going to tear them down with the latest gospel? Are you going to witness to the visitors about the harmony and difference in the lives of the members of this church that comes from serving Christ or a strife or the strife in the church. And if you were a new member looking at joining this place and you sit down on one of them tables and people started talking about all the problems going on in the church, would you want to join this church? No, you wouldn't want to join this church. I got too many things going on. So are you going to talk about Christ and what he has done for you in your life? Or are you going to talk about the strife that comes with serving Satan? And that's exactly what you're doing when you start talking about things and tearing things down and complaining things in our church, you're serving Satan. So that's the choice that you make every time that you sit down out there, to serve God or to serve Satan. Now I want you to consider carefully that choice because the consequences of choosing to complain and gossip is to divide the church 
and to fail in our most important mission, and that is to win those visitors to Christ. I would rather choose God and unity and soul winning as we fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, Abram, he did not want strife between he and Lot, who were brothers. We as Christians should be putting that attitude first as well. Now, in order to resolve this strife, Adam treated Lot with not only spiritual directness and spiritual discernment, but Abram treated Lot with spiritual dignity. Verse 9 says, And not the whole land before thee, separate thyself, I pray, thee from me, and if thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right, and if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. So Abram essentially said, listen, brother, you choose, and I'll take what is left. So with that spirit of sacrifice, Abram put his rights to, uh, put aside his rights. He put them all to the side. And you see, socially, he was Lot's senior and had the prior claim. And sovereignly, he was by far the stronger of the two characters. And spiritually, he was the sole heir and beneficiary of the divine promise. But he had knelt before the altar of God and learned to sacrifice. Now, old Charles Spurgeon, you guys all know Charles Spurgeon, right? Charles Spurgeon said, it takes more grace than I can tell to play second fiddle well. Oh, my, 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 my. Second fiddle, right? That, that is exactly what Abram did here. By the world standard, he played the fool. But Abram was working by a higher standard when he surrendered his rights, and God blessed him for it. Now, if we say that Abram acted with the mind of a, a spiritual man, then how did Lot react and make his choices? He used the mind of a carnal man. So first, Lot was worldly in his desires. Chapter 13, verse 10 says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zor. So God tells us that Lot had two reasons for making his choice. A religious reason in the secular meaning of the word, and the real reason. Now, notice we don't see Lot asking God which way he should choose. The Bible never speaks of Lot calling upon the name of the Lord. God tells us that the Jordan Valley was even as the garden of the Lord. And that was Lot's religious reason, secular meaning of the word. That was Lot's religious meaning, right? Now, God tells us that Lot looked upon the land and it was like the land of Egypt. Now, here's the real reason. See, Lot had liked Egypt. Ooh, he had profited well living in, in the world, living in Egypt. He was looking for a place just like Egypt. The next thing we see in Lot is that a man who is worldly in his desires will inevitably be wrong in his decision. Verses 11 through 13 says, Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. And Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent towards where? Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. 
So we see that Lot chose all of the plain of Jordan and separated himself from his godly uncle. And it was not long before he had pinched his tent towards Sodom. So the Holy Spirit adds a significant note by saying the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Now Lot had made the wrong choice. And he used the wrong reasons for that choice. Lot made his choice using his own desires as the basis for the decision. As I said in the intro, the first and only decision facing a lost person is the choice of heaven or hell. Now, once that decision is made and a person chooses to accept the salvation of a gracious God, then he is given a second decision that is reserved solely for the saved person, heaven or earth. That is the choice that each Christian makes to choose God or Satan as their master. Now, it is possible... And I said, I believe earlier that, that Lot was saved, uh, but it was possible that Lot made that first decision for heaven when he chose to leave Mesopotamia with Abram. And then he made the second choice when he chose the earth and living in the shadow of Sodom. Well, Next, we see the moves of a spiritual man. We've discussed the marks of a spiritual man. We've talked about the mind of a spiritual man. We've talked about the mind of a carnal man. And now we see the moves of a spiritual man. And I'm not talking about dance moves. All right. Uh, there, there's a few of those, too. Uh, uh, we see that God is... You guys didn't even think that was funny at all, did you? Goodness gracious. Uh, we see that God is working in Abram's life through this episode. Now, the natural and that lush plain of Jordan would have been a natural choice for Abram. Man, that looked good. That looked great. Yet God knew what was going to happen where? To Sodom. And he restrained Adam from making that choice. So why didn't God help out Lot to do the same thing? Because God, uh, because Lot didn't ask God for any help. So the most important thing that we can take from this next section of verses it's what God's response is when we are obedient to Him. When we choose to follow the will of God in our lives. Now, in, this, in our text, God reassures Abram in many ways. First, in his possession. Verses 14 and 15 says, And the Lord said unto Abram, After that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. Now notice the statement that says, And the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him. Well, this tells us that once again, the Lord waits until Abram has separated himself from his kindred before he appears to Abram. Then God tells Abram, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward and southward, eastward and westward. So notice something very interesting here. From verse 11 we saw that Lot chose what direction? The east. Now God tells Abram that all of the land, the north, the south, the west, and the east is his. Yes, even the land where Lot had now had his flock that land still belongs to Abram and his seed forever. 
Abram had not lost a thing by being a spiritual man. That's God's arithmetic. Now, according to the world, if you take one from one, what do you have? Zero. Nothing. But according to God, if you subtract one from one, you have everything. You have everything. Matthew 19, 29 says, And everyone that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. It is when people use the world's arithmetic that they begin to rationalize not giving a tithe or offering to God. When what they are actually doing is robbing God of what is rightfully His. And they will end up with nothing because they use the world's arithmetic. But I notice something else. They also rob themselves of the blessings God has for them. God's arithmetic is not our arithmetic. If you give God of what you have, then you will have everything. Now the next thing that we see is that God reassured Abraham in his posterity. Verse 16 says, And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. So Abram's posterity was centered on a yet unborn single uh, son. But in that son resided the whole Hebrew race. And Abram was assured by God that he would be fruitful. His descendants would be great in number. So the message for us here is that a person who has chosen to live a spiritual life rather than a carnal life will always find fruitfulness in the work of God. It may not mean that they uh, lead uh, thousands of people to Christ, such as Spurgeon did or Billy Sunday, but it could mean that they lead only one person. And that one person could be the next Billy Graham. For example, did you know, and follow this chain, did you know that the reading uh, of that reading the book of Romans changed the life of Martin Luther? Then, reading Martin Luther's preface to his commentary on the book of Romans transformed the life of John Wesley. And attending a chapel of the Primitive Methodists, which was one of the groups following the teachings of John Wesley, led to the conversion of C.H. Spurgeon. Spurgeon touched the life of a young Henry Morehouse, who in turn transformed the life and the ministry of D.L. Moody. Now, attending one of Moody's meetings transformed the life of C.T. Studd and six others who became known as the Cambridge Seven. They, in turn, swept across the universities of England and Scotland, stirring students everywhere to lives of devotion and service for God overseas. Isn't that something? That is spiritual posterity. That is what happens when God blesses a man, when we are obedient to God's will in our life, people's lives are transformed. The lost are brought to Christ, and Christians find out what it means to be conformed to the mind of Christ. And then finally, Abram was regulated by God. Verses 17 and 18 says, Arise and walk through the land in the length of it, and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. And then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. So now Abram's moves were guided and regulated by the Lord, and he moved in obedience to the will of God for his life. 
Notice that God tells us that Abram built there an altar unto the Lord. And you could always tell where Abram had been because he left the testimony. Now, the message Abram wanted to give to the world was his devotion to God, and he did that by building an altar to the Lord. Now, notice the statement, then Abram removed his tent and came to dwell in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron. Now, one of the meanings of Mamre is richness. And Hebron means communion. Now, let me tell you, that is a marvelous place to be between Hebron and Mamre. It is a place of richness and communion with God. And there seems to have, that seems to have been Abram's home, and this is where he is buried. Amen? Amen. Isn't that a great, great message? Isn't that a great word? That, uh, I, I was just rejoicing uh, throughout the entire week uh, here as I was working on that. 